0: Well, the cool nights of fall are beginning to emerge. Have you loved these last few days and evenings? I love I love opening the window and pulling the covers up and just not wanting to get out of bed except for this morning, of course. <clears throat> you know, fall as Labor Day is one of those kind of transition weekends where things really do shift in our lives. School is back in full force, the church is, we feel like ready to burst forward in a new season, and the things of summer kind of come to pass, and so does Olympic fever. How many of you have talked about the Olympics this past week? Two. Two. Isn't it amazing how fast we rush from the one thing to the next, barely even remembering where we have been? You know, I laugh. Dan Meyer will walk the hallways occasionally. He'll pop into the offices and he'll say, you know, in Dan's way, Eric, what have you been working on this week? And I'll look at him thinking, I have no idea. I'll usually say something like, Dan, I've been trying to save the world. It's been kind of busy around here. But, uh, you know, but it's just amazing, like, how fast we go, how many things we're a part of, and then when the season change, when the next thing comes along, like, we are fully invested in that and sometimes not even remembering where we have been. Well, I've got good news to, to help you with your Olympic fever. College football started this weekend. <laughs> next weekend, the NFL kicks off, followed by the Cubs winning the World Series, and then the Blackhawks take the ice. Can you say, hello, pizza, nachos, and 15 more pounds? How many of you gained weight during the Olympics? Did you, did you stay glued to the TV for a couple weeks? Don't raise your hand to that. That's more of a rhetorical question. But you know, in my unscientific research, I've been studying the Olympics for the last few years, and I have been curious about the approach that people take so, that they take when they watch the games. And I found, my conclusion is there are three kinds of Olympic watchers. Okay, I want you to self-identify which one of these describes you. The first approach is that you watch the Olympics because you are mesmerized by the stories. It's the, it's the triumph of people coming from hard or rough backgrounds. It's the challenges and the tragedies in life that they've overcome. It's, it's defeating all odds to carry your nation's flag and to compete on the world stage. For you, the Olympics equal the global human interest stories. Perhaps that's you. The second approach, as you are just captivated by the striving and the effort of the athletes and the competitors as they pour out their heart and soul and strength in hopes of achieving what could be a medal. But it doesn't matter to you where they finish. You are moved to tears even for the person who finishes last because you just see that they are giving everything they have all the way to the very end. For you at the Olympics, is doing your best equals success. The third approach is this. You believe that there is only one goal and that is gold. Anything less than being number 1 is a sad and tragic ending to a life of training. If you're not first, you're last, as Ricky Bobby would say in Talladega Nights. Silver medal equals first loser. So in my research, I have come to the conclusion, kind of like Ecclesiastes. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Number three, gold or nothing is the right approach. I know I have issues. You can laugh. My family loves the Olympics. We are glued to the TV, but the Olympics bring strife and contention into my home because we have multiple approaches happening in the room. My wife loves the stories and shushes me all the time when I'm trying to talk during the stories. And she is one that cries, watching every person finish. And it doesn't matter even what place they come in. And then there's Sadie and I. I feel like I've corrupted my daughter that we are appalled at those excited to win a bronze medal. I mean, I've competed. I've never once finished third and were moved with tears, feeling like I've just accomplished this great. Like, Like, I wasn't going to finish third. So, in my house, there is this rule, which actually has become a law. While the Olympics are on, Eric and Sadie are not allowed to talk. Now, it may not be the most healthy dynamic, but I can tell you it is much more peaceable and makes our house work if I just keep my mouth shut and let the stories and the competitions just unfold. It just works better that way. When I watch the Olympics, I do see something, though. I was fortunate, as many of you know, to to compete at a high level through a sport. And as I watch these athletes, I see the years, the dailiness, of sacrifice, of dedicating their body, their time, the grind, the pain, all the effort, the training that they put in to achieving a hope and a dream, to one day be at the top or to wear that victor's crown in whatever sport or competition you've been in. I've lived it. Um, I get it. And when I see, no matter what place they come in, any athlete in the Olympics, I, I see the years, the dailiness of all that they've put in to achieve that one hope that they have. And as I've journeyed through athletics and now I've given my life to serve the local church, God's mission of bringing all people to himself, I have come to see some great parallels between the training an athlete goes through to compete and what it takes to actually be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. You see, no Olympic athlete simply tries to compete, they train themselves for the games. And in their training, they commit themselves to the very best habits so that they have the opportunity to reach their full potential. Just a few weeks ago, we hosted the Global uh, Leadership Summit. We were a host site for the summit. And one of the talks was given by the famed leadership author, John Maxwell. And during his talk, some of you were there, you heard him say this. People live with uphill hopes and have downhill habits. Think about that. People live with uphill hopes but live with downhill habits. That got me thinking. Something resonated when I heard that quote. And if you think about it, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, we have uphill hopes. We want healthy, flourishing marriages. We want healthy, flourishing children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews. We have career hopes. We have vacation hopes. We have retirement hopes. We have hopes for our health. We have hopes for our country. Perhaps we have deep, anguishing prayers for our country. But we desire the good things to come to pass. But when I examine my life, perhaps you do the same, I have to admit that sometimes, maybe more frequently than I want to admit, that sometimes my habits aren't necessarily matching the trajectory of my hopes. Did I say 15 pounds of pizza and nacho weight coming this fall? See, I have a desire to be healthy. Actually, I found it's easier to lower your hopes than it is to actually change your habits. But, but I do desire to be healthy. So my, my covenant to you is that I am going to eat grilled chicken nachos all during football and baseball season as a way to be more healthy. No. I think the habits we placed in our lives, think about it in your marriages, your parenting, your relationship, your diets, the things that you put your hand to, the things you sacrifice for, or maybe the things you need to sacrifice more for, what do they say about you? Do you, is there a disconnect between what you hope and desire and how you are actually living out and the words you say, the the things you think, and the behaviors you live out. I think John Maxwell is on to something. And this morning, I want to raise the ultimate uphill question. What is your ultimate hope? And is your life, the values of your life, the behaviors of your life, are they moving in sync with those hopes, or are they moving in a different direction? So here's my question for you I want you to think about. For the remainder of our morning. What is the number one priority or hope you are pursuing in life? What is the number one hope or priority you are pursuing in life? What, are you, what consumes your time, your thoughts, your energy, your finances? What is number one? We need to answer that question. Jesus has an amazing way of shocking people with his life and with his words and teachings. And I truly believe God knows us far better than we know ourselves. He gets us far more than we get ourselves. He, he even knows the number of hairs on our head. How many of you know the number of hairs on your head? Some of you might, actually. I can probably count a few of your hairs. I'll be with you shortly. Don't worry. But God knows us. And, and in Luke chapter 14, Jesus delivers perhaps one of his most challenging t- teachings that take us to the very heart of uphill hope and downhill habits. Listen to these words out of Luke chapter 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And if you laid a foundation or not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, saying, this person began to build and wasn't even able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down to consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him or with 20,000? If he is not evil, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me just pause. How do those words hit you? Not just in your mind, but How do you receive those words in your heart? Are they comforting? Are they hard to hear? Perhaps you feel a little sting of guilt. Perhaps you feel motivated. Maybe scared. Maybe you sense God's grace in those words. In a room like this, we will have the gamut of emotions and thoughts and feelings to those pretty tough words that Jesus says with us, to us. What is your ultimate uphill hope? That is the question Jesus poses to every single one of us. And are the values of your life, the behaviors of your life, the habits of your life reflecting that hope? Jesus calls into question the seriousness of our faith. Not if faith is serious, but is, this, but is your faith serious. Many Christians and writers and thinkers and doers have, have talked about, written on, spoke about this passage of Scripture, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred literally just days before World War, World War II ended by Hitler. It was tragedy. He um, said these words, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. I would summarize it this way. Cheap grace is wanting all the blessings and eternity without counting the cost or actually following Jesus. Let me shed some light on Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14 because I think sometimes it's hard for us to find the handles. Hate your mother, father, spouse, children. Really? I mean, didn't Jesus say we're to love one another? Now he's saying like we're supposed to hate them? Like what does that mean? Or can we really identify with the imagery of carrying your cross? When was the last time you went to a parade And at the very end of the parade came someone beaten and flogged, dripping with blood, carrying a massive beam on their way to death, and the crowd cheering as if the Shriners were driving those little cars throwing out candy. We don't live in that kind of world. We'll sometimes say, I need to carry my cross, I need to shoulder this, but we're kind of removed from what that would have meant to the hearers of Jesus. Or how many of you will enjoy today, perhaps enjoy a great Labor Day, open up your calendar on Tuesday, September 6th, or your day planner and say, okay, to do, do I need 10,000 or 20,000 troops to overthrow the King of Hinsdale today? We don't live in that kind of world. Perhaps the one thing we can identify with when Jesus talks about, you know, who's going to build a tower, right? Build a home, build a building, like to estimate the cost for that. We can maybe get our head around that one of what it means to count the cost. But but in all of these, let me make it simple because all of these are talking about the exact same thing. When Jesus taught, his teachings were always consistent. And what he's saying is that is God number one in your life? Don't let anything or anyone come before me. You must be willing to sacrifice all. You must be clear, and you must know what your life is committed to. That is what Jesus is calling us to in Luke chapter 14. And he knows that we are prone to downhill habits. He knows we're prone to let people or things sometimes take that number one place in our lives. Even the good things can distract our focus away from him. To pursue the uphill hope of following Jesus, it will take uphill habits of surrender and sacrifice, and yes, training. Wishful thinking or merely trying will not reach the gold of a life with God. So let's get practical. Practical. If God is first in your life, your number one priority, and we must honestly answer that question, then there are a few areas we must pay attention to. We have to pay attention to the vision and focus of our life. We have to pay attention to the attitudes with which we live, and we must pay attention to the actual habits, the things we do and say every day that shape us and form us. And for each of these, I want Scripture to just speak. I believe the Word of God powerful enough to stand on its own two feet. So I want to just read a few passages for each of these because you will see how Scripture just shouts out how important these things are in our life. Jesus gave us the vision for life. When he was asked what was the greatest commandment and that question by the way was a huge question for the Jews because the commandments dictated the vision for life. The, 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 the law It gave them their values. The law impacted how they lived every single day. This was a huge question asked of Jesus. And Jesus gives the vision for life when he says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment. Greater than these. One commandment wrapped up in two parts. Loving God, loving others. He goes, that is what it's all about. Your uphill hope in Christ is love. And you cannot live an authentic life of love if you are not rooted deeply in Christ so that his life flows through you for the sake of others. That mantra you will hear thousands of times in the months, weeks and months to come. Rooting ourselves more deeply in Christ for the sake of others. That has to capture the heart of us, each of us in this church. And if it does, who knows what God will be able to do, not just in us, but through us. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope pulls us towards itself. Listen to how the Apostle Paul bridges this analogy between the athletes training and live and following Jesus he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. Gold or nothing. See, did I not tell you that was the right answer? All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadowboxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise... I feared that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. The athlete's desire for gold, to compete in the games, propels them to train, to give all that they have to, to maximize this one life that they have been giving. Are we, are you and I, are we submitting ourselves in the same way to the faith? Paul would say, if that's what athletes do, how much more should we be doing it? Because we have eternal consequences at stake, not a mere wreath that will die and fade away in just a matter of weeks. Let me share one more passage speaking to the focus and clarity of our life. This comes from Colossians chapter 3. It says, since you have been raised with Christ, think about that this week, just that statement, since you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Be clear with your life's focus. Set your vision in the course of your life with God. That is your ultimate uphill priority. When our vision and focus and desires are clear, we must be aware of our attitudes then, because our attitudes are connected to our values. They dictate our behaviors, the words, the, our thoughts, our actions. And so, listen how the Bible talks about our attitudes. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or Ephesians chapter 4. It says, when you heard about Christ, you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught that in regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted with its deceitful desires, downhill habits, but to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, no athlete will succeed if they, have, if they do not have healthy attitudes, if they do not have a well-prepared mental game for both their training and also for their competition. And no Christian will flourish in Christ if they are not replacing the downhill habits with the uphill habits of Christ himself. It just doesn't work that way. But here's the kicker with, with attitudes. Attitudes. You have to actually want it. Adele Calhoun reminded us of this often. She says transformation begins at the place of desire. You have to actually want it. And so do you. Will you renew your mind? Will you settle in your mind that God is number one and I want Him more than anything else in my life? So you have to have both the vision for God. But you have to have the intentions to actually say, I desire to follow him. Because if not, or if there's something else that's in that place, by definition, you won't be following Jesus. You'll be following that something else more. The reality is that we are always forming. <clears throat> Life, our lives are not static. They're dynamic. That we are, we are moving more like this, uphill or downhill. The choices we make, the things we do, the things we say, how we, how we think. The question is, what habits are influencing your life now? What is most influencing your life, and do they match that uphill hope? Training ourselves in Christ means, like an athlete, that we must practice the good things, the right things, over and over and over again. There was this great commercial on ESPN years back during the NFL season, and it had Really these amazing plays, receivers making these unbelievable catches, you know, without a sport coat on, you know, stretching at the goal line, and uh, it, was, it was inspiring. And then there was that voice, like if, if the church gig does not work out, I want to become the voice on these commercials. You know, and the voice says, amateurs practice until they can get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. And I'm just like, that is Awesome. But do we approach our faith, our walk with God in the same way? Are we happy to just get it right occasionally or do we train ourselves to where those good things of Christ actually become the most natural expressions of our life? I have a ways to go. But I am motivated cuz that kind of hope propel it pulls me to live that kind of life. Let me give you four uphill habits that I know, no matter where you are on this journey, these uphill habits will will move you towards that ultimate goal of following Jesus as his disciple. And here they are. The first one is read your Bibles. Read and reflect on the Scriptures. You can take the passages that are taught each week. There's all kinds of different uh, Bible reading plans, or you just may open up, you know, one of the Gospels and start reading. But if you read your Bibles and reflect on what it said, the, the living God will be touching your life. And closely connected to that, I would say pray regularly. That may not be your 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 regular mode of operation here, but I, I promise you, if you will commit yourself to read and reflect on the Scriptures and pray about that which you're reading, pray for those, ask God to lead and direct your life, you will find all kinds of things changing in your life. One of the largest surveys done ever, and actually the largest history ever done in Christendom, trying to understand transformation in people's lives, we've participated in it uh, a couple times over the last eight years as a church, said the regular reading and reflection of Scripture and regular prayer are catalysts for spiritual growth no matter where you are on the spiritual continuum. Whether you're here saying, maybe I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, right? You're, you're, you're just at the very beginning point, or you're far down the road, a mature saint, no matter where you are, Scripture and prayer will grow your life. I'm so glad that the statistics actually said that, but it's kind of like, duh, we kind of know that, but yet our downhill habits don't always support it. Two habits, simple habits that are very doable for every single one of us is to crack open the scriptures or pull them up on your device, read them, think about them, and go to God in prayer often. The third one is this, partner with others. God's intention is that we would not do life alone. In fact, the first thing in all creation that was not good was when man was alone. We are created for community. We're created in the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it only makes sense that as we pursue this faith journey, we do it with others. Many of you have found the gift of journeying with others in community. We call them small groups. We have a variety of groups here. Some of them are formal. Some of them are informal. You know, you meet in coffee shops or you gather throughout the week. But having those kind of partners make a huge difference in your journey. It's one of your, your training practices to have in your life. All kinds of things kick off this fall. Tuesday night, we have ladies' night out. If you're a lady, come Tuesday night, we're highlighting all the different ways women can connect. Our men's Bible studies are, are, will be in full gear here in just a couple weeks with the men's breakfast fellowship, with men's fraternity, with other groups. You can go out to the, the growth center. We have all kinds of ways for people to connect And when we come into October, we're going to do the Others series next, and then we're going to do the Take Root series. When we come into that series, we will be doing the first ever church-wide small group campaign, praying that all of you will find a smaller circle for four weeks that you can journey together. We take this so seriously. We want you to find this training practice in your life. And last, fourth, I would encourage you to stretch yourself in those faith risks as they come you don't have to be a crusader on a horse riding down 31st street looking for some crazy risk to take you just have to be attentive to what God is doing right around you every day and you're going to find opportunities to maybe tell your story to maybe invite someone along to a worship service or to one of the special gatherings we have Um, you're going to have an opportunity to love someone or meet a need as those opportunities come, you're going to feel that decisive moment where it's like, which way do I go? Move with faith. It will stretch you and it will change you. Four things. And as we come into this fall, we are going to help you and partner together to live into all four of those together. Jesus says that no one who does not put me before all others, no one, who will not surrender and sacrifice be willing to s- surrender and sacrifice all that they have committing their minds and their habits to me no one who is not willing to let go of the downhill hopes and habits in order to pursue the uphill hopes and habits of life in me jesus says if if that is not your desire you just you you simply will not be my disciple you will not be my follower Because your vision, your attitudes, and habits are aligned to something else that you want more other than me. Friends, let's do our inventory. Let's settle it in our minds. Let's count the cost and let's train ourselves in those healthy habits. Because when we do, we find life. And we find it overflowing. May we do whatever it takes to live and to grow more and more in life with Jesus. Let's close with this responsive prayer. Who is it that you seek? We seek the Lord our God. Do you seek him with all of your heart? Do you seek him with all your soul? Do you seek him with all of your mind? Do you seek him with all your strength? Amen. May it be so.